0: my good evening
1: it's two o'clock and this is a recording of the eight o'clock shia which usually
0: takes place on wednesday but today in a blessed manner one of my grandsons is getting married and they told me that i have to make it it's going to be really great so my intention is to make it unfortunately Unfortunately, I would say this particular parasha demands a tremendous amount of thoughtfulness. It's just a a parasha that defies most of the understandings that we've developed over time. There is this man whose name is Bil'am, who is reputed to be a, a prophet. Now, when you say prophet to me, it's obviously that prophecy, like the Rambam seems to say, that prophecy is something that applies to the Jews. I mean, you might be able to have a prophet uh, that uh, whose expertise is the other nations of the world, but you wouldn't think that you could have a prophet that would disagree With the God who made him into a prophet, but that's Bilam. Bilam was approached by Balak. Was approached by Balak. Said, "Look, I've got a job for you. Take it on. You'll make a lot of money." And of course, Bilam wanted to do it, and Hashem told him not to. And Bilam, in spite of the fact that his authority must come from God ultimately. He decided to do it anyway, and it's true that Bilam wasn't able to do what he wanted to do, that God stopped him uh, by switching around his prophecy from a bad prophecy about the Jewish people to a good prophecy about the Jewish people. But in spite of that fact, why did he, have anything to say about anything why did oh, Bill, um, why did who take Bill on the the idea that he could take a stand against God you ever hear of a prophet who took a stand against God I mean I know Yonah ran away but Yonah was not taking a stand against God Yonah was afraid that his prophecy might be detrimental to the jewish people and since he saw himself primarily as a prophet for the or to the jewish people he didn't want to he didn't want to change that he he he, he didn't want to say the prophecy to the people of ninveh that might cause the jews harm that was that was uh, Yonah in the city of Nineveh, but eventually Yonah was berated by Hashem and sent back to have the same prophecy that he rejected at first so Bilam is for me a kind of a mystery especially since if you look at the end of the parasha Balak is still looking for a way to overwhelmed to defeat, to stop the Jewish people from causing him harm. And Balak, Balak gives him advice. I mean, I've told prophets could also give advice, that his advice was that Bil'am, that uh, that Balak should send the Midianite women to create havoc in the camp of, of Israel and they did, and he did, and they, and, and in some way, in some way, if you read the parasha from beginning to the end, it sounds like at the end, Bill um, had his way. He was not able to curse B'nai Yisrael, but he was able to do something worse. He was able to kind of invest them with transgression energy. They all wanted to be, the ones who are transgressing, and you know that Pinchas, Pinchas a Pinchas the priest, was a kana- he was a zealot, and his zealotry was necessary in order to stop what Bilam started. But it's amazing to me that even though Bilam was a failure at the end, he did very well. He he was able to convince Balak to fight the battle in a different way,
1: in a way that proved to be very successful, very successful. So here in the, the story is divided up into uh, uh, I mean, so I'm looking for
0: something, I'm looking for something that'll help me to understand what exactly is going on, I mean, Chazal say, that it's true that, uh, that Moshe Rabbeinu was Moshe Rabbeinu. it put me that Bilam was an even greater prophet than Moshe Rabbeinu. you imagine that? But I can tell you that I have difficulty with that. It, it doesn't, uh, I don't understand it. How could billam be greater than the man who gave us the Torah? The man who put the, brought the Jews out of Mitzrayim and the man who got them up to the, up to the boundary of Eretz Canaan, didn't take them in, but he got them to the boundary. With all the trials and tribulations along the way, where's Bilam? What sort of what sort of CV does Bilam have? So Bilam goes in any event to first the Jews, and it doesn't work out the first time, the second
1: time. The next time, you look at the pasuk on the on the
0: sheet. And Bilam finally understood. That God wanted to bless Yisrael. And he didn't go as he went in general the first two times, the Hashim to kind of meditate with the with the snakes. So it says Nechashim. The word Nechash also means uh, also, also means a kind of, you know, what the false prophets do. You know, they, they have some way. Of conjuring up a, a message, the Kreate Hashem v'yashet el Hamidbar panav, and he turned to the Midbar, to the to the desert. Now Rashi says v'yarbil am kitov
1: v'gomer. Just a second. V'yarbil om kitov.
0: Amar einitzarich libdog b'kodesh bokhu. I don't have to confer with Hashem because I know God is not going to allow me to do this. And therefore, not to do what I agreed with Balak to do. He didn't go as he went every time. This is the third time that he's attempting to speak on behalf of Balak and curse the Jews so he didn't go he didn't do what he usually does which is the kratne hashem and so rashi says I think lenachesh, that's a like a verb that means to to do what the false prophet does ulai yikra hashem likrato kirt so no maybe yikra hashem maybe god will happen upon him uh, even in an unplay, uh, unplanned manner, le, le krato, so, no, maybe something will happen even though he realized that God was not interested in him cursing the Jews, he thought nevertheless if he just kind of sneaked around, God would let him be, let him do what he wanted to do. Amar wrote, so he said, God wants to, but doesn't want to. I mean, after all, he he, he first, God said, don't go. And then God said, do go. And that we have that problem. Like, what does that mean? What does that mean? He says, he wants to curse them and doesn't want to curse them. Askir abonatehem, so maybe if I just list now all the transgressions that the Jews performed since they left Mitzrayim. Baklala al-hazkarat ha'aveirot tachul, Maybe the curse uh, upon mentioning these transgressions will take place. So, I mean, this is a little complicated. That that Rashi's trying to understand how Bilam kept on the job. I mean, he tried twice to curse the Jewish people, but the words that came out of his mouth were not the words that he intended to use. The 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 statement that he made was not the statement that he intended to make against the Jewish people. So he says he looked back at uh, at what had happened in the past and he came to the conclusion that that God was not convinced one way or the other he didn't want to support Bilam, but he also he didn't want to support Bilam. but he also didn't want he didn't want the Jews to get away with it so Bilam said I will mention their transgressions, va and memela. Memela means, in in automatically, without my saying it, they will be cursed just by mentioning the things they did that were uh, that were wrong. So, Rashi has difficulty. I would say there's a certain amount of difficulty here but uh, and I think that the word nechashim is a critical word
1: zero two, five, three that is It's really annoying okay I mean we we're, we're f- focusing
0: all of the story of the parsha of Bill Bullock, and Bilam on one pro. And that one pasuk emphasizes all the things that, that we can't even imagine, that God has two opinions and that you could affect that opinion by acting in a certain way and, and cursing the Jews equals mentioning their transgressions. Right? All of these things, all of these things are very difficult and they're all in Rashi. Now, I want to at least read the beginning of the Ramban on this particular, on this particular matter. The
1: Ramban says, Here's the Ramban. He b'pamim ha-rishonim, the first two times, haya menachesh
0: v'rotseh lekallel otam benachash. So here the Ramban is using that word, nachesh, which is a word that describes what the magicians do. They kind of have some way of guessing the future or being able to determine things. God would come to Bil'am uh, sort of like accidentally, not planned, not a real plan. Lo not intending for him to get a prophecy and not because of his significance that he, Bilam had achieved. After all, part of his own statement about Bnei Yisrael was Yaakov, the children of Yaakov, they don't use this method of nachash, below kesem be Israel, they have no magicians, lehara and they, they don't use them, not the nachash, and not the kesem, to to make things better or make things worse for B'nai Israel. he let these snakes, or nechashim, Different the same letters that looks the same, but it refers to the magicians. So you see what the Ramban is trying to explain is what happened to Bilam. I mean, he tried twice, he used all of his tricks, and and not only was he unable to curse the Jews, but he blessed them. And the the uh the formulation of the blessing that came from heaven came to bilam from god it wasn't his idea to say those nice things for example they say he said kilo nachash biyakov right Yisrael." that's what he said that the, the Jews don't need an intermediary they don't look for tricks in order to Convince God of one thing or another, but they are—they are always uh, in direct communication with God. So why did—why did, why did Bilam do it? Why did he go for number three? Right. <speaking in Hebrew> so that's why first he did. He said, "Okay, I'm not going to do what I did before. I'm not going to go to these." These magicians' kind of ways. Aval some el He looked in the direction of the desert, Asher Yisrael where the people of Israel would find themselves. That's where they were. They were in the desert, getting ready to move on to Eretz Canaan. Uotam. He will see them, and he will prepare his soul. And that, in fact, the dibur, the words of of God, will come to him. So he would get a different set of words that's what happened that's why it says in this case that the spirit of god invoked uh, enveloped him because now he was kind of under the hand or the protection of Hashem ka just like the other prophets uh, prophesy under divine protection that was also true about bilam Kemosha amar he himself mitenkel amashem naviim It would be great if everybody was a navi ketam adrucho alehem god uh, would uh, place his spirit upon them okay okay so we have We've learned a little bit uh, that somehow, uh, somehow according to the Ramban, Bilam fits in, he fits in. He tried again to trick HaKadosh Baruch Hu, but he wasn't able to. He didn't get what he wanted, but he used uh, his understanding of his own relationship to HaKadosh Baruch Hu in order to try to trick heaven into cursing B'nai Yisrael
1: but was unable to. So I have two points that I would like to add.
0: Uh, we could continue learning about Bilam and there's no doubt that uh, it's a worthy, a worthy enterprise in spite of the fact that Bilam was really uh, a terrible person who wanted nothing more than the destruction of the Jewish people for cash, right? Balak promised him honor and money and Bilam said that's that makes sense that makes sense and use my special talents to do away with these people that nobody really wants them they just came upon the scene
1: from the desert and we Balak and Bilam would rather do away with them. We'd rather do away with them. So there are two points that I, I want to make. I told you once
0: that the book of Ba'midbar, as far as I understand it, is the book that describes B'nai Israel learning that they have to leave Moshe Rabbein. And I think by leaving Moshe Rabbeinu when he, Moshe Rabbeinu, was still alive, that was the best lesson ever. And it all goes back to Yitro who told Moshe Rabbeinu, you can't do it, you can't just sit all day and all night and decide uh, who is right and who is wrong and what the, the will of the Torah is in every particular case. The vaulty bowl, you'll disappear you'll fall off you you just won't be able to carry the burden and so Moshe Rabbeinu said okay but I'm Moshe Rabbeinu I mean my answers are perfect if I appoint somebody else what will be with him so Yitro, Yitro said to Moshe Rabbeinu look if you don't appoint somebody else you're going to find yourself in deep trouble you won't be able you won't be able to leave the people and when you die when you die they won't be able to live without you if you want this project Yitzhiat Mitzrayim and Matan Torah, and Eretz Kedat you want this project to continue you want the project to continue. you have to appoint people who in your own lifetime will accept the same responsibilities that you have. And this caused B'nai Yisrael a lot of difficulty, a lot of complaining, a lot of mistakes, a lot of confusion. And amongst those confu- that confusion was the Nechash and the They were, in the previous parasha, they were punished. Snakes. Came to do the so without snake. The word for snake in Hebrew is nachash, and the word for magicians, for magic, is nachash. So there must be some sort of connection between the magic that you we deny, and the snakes that we heard about. That we heard about. So on the one hand, the Book of Bamidbar is the book in which uh, living without Moshe Rabbeinu is explored. You remember Korach said he's politically unnecessary. And then Korach said we were all at Har Sinai and we all have that level of kedusha, And we can do without Moshe Rabbeinu even now before he dies. Similarly, there was a lesson in the Nachash Lechoshet which we spoke about next week, but last week, but It's important for us to understand today. You know that the Rambam says. The Rambam is, I want to get involved in what the Rambam really said or didn't really say, but according to the Ramban, the Rambam said that uh, we can live happily without korbanot. We don't need sacrifices. So why do we have them? Why are they in the Torah, the sacrifices? So the Rambam said, well, you know, uh, the Goyim, the nations of the world, they all practice sacrifices. And the weakness of Am Yisrael is that they look to other nations sometimes in order to decide how they should be. And one of the ways they looked was korbadot. And those korbanot, those korbanot were given to them in the Torah through Rosh Rabbeinu, From HaKodesh Baruch Hu. But that doesn't mean, I mean, it could, I imagine it means that the text of the Korbanot, as we say today, right? we put the Korbanot right at the beginning of, of, of the Tfilat Shacharit, we could say Korbanot every single morning. Because we think that in terms of an idea, in terms of whatever it is that the Korbanot stands for, which you have to look into, right? whatever it stands for, those Korbanot will last forever but the actual korban, the slaughtering of the animals, the sprinkling of the blood, well, maybe that is no longer necessary because because it doesn't exist amongst the goyim as, as well. The same thing is true about the nachash. We understand
1: now that the nachash, besides being poisonous, and, and, and could
0: kill many, many people. That uh, that Nachash was venerated by the people of the world. I mean, the Nachash was the one who was able to trip up Adam and Chaba and keep them out of Gan Eden. It's a pretty powerful thing that the Nachash was able to do. So Akkodish Baruch says, you want to get rid of the snakes? Put up a snake. And the snakes that they put up were similar, were similar to the Korbanot, but the same idea. There's this idea of a snake which has a tremendous amount of power, and that snake, that snake has to be dealt with. And so Hajem told Moshe Rabbeinu to to make a banner, and the banner will have a snake on it, and the snakes will uh leave the
1: the place of battle. They won't be able to, they won't be able to keep going. So it may be that the Nechash HaNechoshet
0: was something that existed at a particular time and that's why God sent the snakes so that Bnei Yisrael should understand that there was more power to the snakes but it didn't really work a hundred percent The i say that Bisheav Melech a thousand years later, karat at at the He destroyed it. The hodulo, and there were people who said at that time. I imagine you said, "But it's Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu did it." It's a thing that happened in the history. We have to keep it. Say no. We have to show that it doesn't have an effect on us. And they got rid of the. They got rid of the the same thing is true apparently of prophecy. I mean there might actually be prophecy in the Goya in which we are exposed to but the parasha wants us to know that our respect for the prophecy of non-Jews or other kinds of prophecy is non-existent. Prophecy is a Jewish enterprise it's one of the definitions of Am Yisrael yes before Matan Torah many people were exposed to the word of God but after after that Bilam put an end to it Bilam put an end and Bilam explained to us that prophecy is something that needs Torah control and that's what it says in the parasha about the prophet, which we will come to. Par- uh, prophecy needs control. Bilam had no control, and therefore, there's no reason for us to think that prophecy exists outside of Israel, outside of the Jewish people.
1: Thanks for coming. I'll see you next week. All the best.